Hello, folks. Once again, today we're sharing with you our ninth Costa Rica Pura Vida Lifestyle Podcast Series episode that deals with how one acquires their residency, also called legal status here in Costa Rica. It's a very important and also somewhat involved process from start to finish. It's a process that more and more individuals and families are doing. So many people are moving to Costa Rica now, so much stress and perhaps a lot of uncertainty in the lives of many all over the world. And Costa Rica seems to be that Pura Vida lifestyle oasis, the land of peace and biodiversity and lots of hope for a more sane and tranquil life for all who care to find it. Today and throughout the coming weeks, I'm going to be spending some time with Kevin McNamee, who is the representative for Costa Rica Immigration and Moving Experts. He and his entire team have, has assisted hundreds of people in acquiring their legal status and everything that's involved with the process for many, many years now. He is indeed an expert, a professional, and a perfectionist when it comes to his business, and I'm so happy to have him here with us. We're in the process now of recording a series of Q&A type episodes. Each episode will address and answer two to four, perhaps five, questions regarding the residency process, what you can expect when living in Costa Rica, and all other items that should cover just about every question you may have about the daily life that you will experience here in paradise. You're going to learn about how to begin the residency process, how the entire procedure works, timeframes, and so much more. And most important, you're going to meet a new friend in Kevin who will indeed have your best interest at hand when you allow him to work hard for you. One of his clients recently told me that it's like hiring someone to build a new home for you. Kevin and his team, they simply roll up their sleeves and they don't waste any time in tackling the task at hand, getting you and your family ready to enjoy Costa Rica, perhaps for the rest of your lives. And that is some good news right there. Kevin, I say welcome to you for the ninth time, and thank you in advance for spending a few minutes with all of us explaining what you know and what we need to know. Well, Skip, thank you very much for the opportunity. I always look forward to these little chats and only too happy to answer your questions because keep me sharp also. And it's a, it's a labor of love. So please fire away. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, in our first eight episodes, you remember we discussed your personal history here in Costa Rica and how you got started in the residency business. And we also touched on many important points. We reviewed the three main types of statuses, how one determines what status to pursue and why one needs to even think about legal status in the first place. Uh, we went through some of the necessary things to think about, how to start a bank account, does one need to learn Spanish, and so much more. And we're here with our many listeners, and they're all eager to hear what you have to say. So with your permission, we're going to get started. And uh, again, we have about three or four questions here. And the first one is, what constitutes a family from the perspective of the Costa Rican government's immigration policy? Oh, excellent question to start off the day with. That application could be for this single individual, some person over the age of 18 that wants to live in Costa Rica. Typically, it is a applicant and spouse. 
usually a retired couple or soon to be retired couple or whoever. It also can include not only the applicant and spouse, but children under 18 or husband, wife, applicant, spouse, I should say, children over 18 and children over 20, up to age 25, if full-time students. And this also begs a, a bit of clarification, not so much from a constitution of a family, but the financial requirements of the, of the family. People have the misconception that, for example, a resident investor has to invest $200,000 or perhaps uh, hopefully in the near future, $150,000. That is the total investment. It's not per person. It's not for $150,000 or $200,000 for the husband, the wife, and the three kids. That adds up to a million dollars very quickly. No, it is a, a financial requirement per applicant and that includes the family unit. Okay. Now, sometimes people say, well, I have my aging grandmother or mother uh, who would like to come down also, can she be included in our application? We will include that individual or husband and wife, grandparents and both grandparents on the application. It's up to immigration to say yes or no. And I have to admit, 50-50 chance they'll say yes, 50-50 say no. But there's always that other avenue opening that we can make an application on behalf of those grandparents or the individual's parents. So yes, uh, the family unit typically applicants, spouse, and children under 18, okay? Absolutely, and of course, when somebody first contacts you, you're going to find out if they have any children, how old the kids are, and then, of course, there's pricing for each individual specific situation. Right, Skip. This is, this is an important point. We've been in the business for a lot of years, and we've tried to make it as clear and simple as possible. One of the important questions that we ask and need an answer for is how many people will be on the application form and what ages are they? And so what we do is we, we price the end for an individual applicant, a husband or a applicant and spouse, an applicant and spouse with one child, applicant and spouse with two children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or a single applicant with one child or two child two children, et cetera. So this is a very, very innocuous sounding question when we ask how many people will be on the application, but we, it's an important one so we can gear the, the information regarding costs to you, to you, the applicant. Perfect, well, that makes a lot of sense. Kevin, on this next question, this is a question that a lot of people ask me and I in turn have them call you, as you know. But um, it seems to me that the fact is that if you're not a resident, then you're a tourist and you're a perpetual tourist if you're living here for a while. So what are the odds of immigration asking a perpetual tourist to leave, one who doesn't have their residency? Okay. First off, a perpetual tourist has no legal rights. They're a, they're a guest. That's all they are. A guest in the country 
And if they provoke a resident, a, a Costa Rican natural born citizen, and it comes to a legal situation or um, some kind of confrontation, it's very easy for immigration saying, look, we don't really want to get involved or the legal, legal apparatus here in the country. Say, what, Mr. Tours, Mr. Potential Tours, how much longer have you got left on your current visa? And you'll say two weeks, three weeks, whatever. They say, well, fine, please, please make arrangements to leave before the, before the visa expires. We're not going to renew it. And really, you, there is, it's very seldom happens, but it, it is something that you have to be aware of. Um, it's not unfair for us to say, spread fear and gloom and doom that you're going to be, you're going to be kicked out, you're going to be kicked out. But we, we commonly refer to it as the, the brother-in-law in the, in, the, in the second bedroom, living, not contributing to your, to your cost of living here and such. And finally, somebody says, we got to get rid of this, this, this moocher. So they ask him to leave. He doesn't have any recourse. It's not a complete parallel to what your question was, but gives you the idea. You don't have a legal standing here. Once you make your application, you start to have some legal rights, i.e. not having to leave the country every 90 days because technically you are no longer a tourist, but you are a individual or applicants in the process of, a process of obtaining a legal status. Sure, so the odds, are, the odds are, are slim to none, but sure does happen. I had a friend once, Kevin, that just had a simple misunderstanding with a store owner and nobody was right. Nobody was wrong. They just got into an argument. He wasn't, uh, my friend wasn't asked to leave. He was a perpetual tourist, but for a while there, he was sweating bullets because uh, they got kind of mad at him at first. And I, I think just like you said, he would have a little bit more to, to stand with if he was applying for his residency. Don't you agree with that? Yes, yes and no, but more importantly, he would have trouble getting back into the country when he leaves after 90 days to renew his visa. Remember the, the personnel, the government personnel at the border are, have the right to make the decision yes or no, thumbs up, thumbs down. And we, we have to advise people to be very careful with your attitude when you're returning. You don't snap your fingers and demand because they'll look at you and not not smile. <laughs> when it's not smiling, you you know they're you're, you are on thin ice, as we would say in Canada. But they can give you a 15-day visa or a 30-day visa or a three-day visa, and that's what you get. They have the right to do anything they want. Now, do they do they use that authority? No, not often, but if your attitude is not correct in their perspective, they will and can and do. So that's the, the it, it also comes down to economics. The guy going to sue you or you're going to sue. I'll use the story of you driving home one night, maybe slightly impaired or maybe slightly 
distracted, whatever, and you run over your neighbor's dog, and the neighbor takes great umbrage at the fact that he's missing one of his 13 dogs, so he goes to you for financial re reimbursement. Well, from your perspective, what you've done is gotten the neighborhood's gotten rid of one now one more lousy barking dog that kept hit the tours, perpetual tours awake every night. From the perspective of the Costa Rican, he's lost a very valuable dog. And he doesn't like the idea that you're ignoring his requests for reimbursement. He simply goes to the police or and police would be the first step, complains, files a complaint, official complaint, it goes against your passport, whatever. And when you come back the next time, or prior to leaving, if it's if it's if the person has of any uh, is of any consequence or no, well known in the area, you can very well be visited by the immigration or police and investigate to see how long you've been here as a perpetual, perpetual tourist, and then say, well, we're going to suggest that when you leave this time, have your affairs in order because we're not going to allow you back into Costa Rica for five years, six years, arbitrary figure. So the chances are very slim. We hear, we hear of it on occasion when we investigate as much as we can. Usually it is a case where tourist is belligerent, and that's the best word to use. They start demanding their rights and blah, blah, blah. A bit of a side, demanding their rights. We had a, a chap here that was caught doing something, some nefarious act, I forget exactly what it was, but he was in jail and got interviewed by a local paper, and he was adamantly demanding that he have his rights and he be released. <laughs> and his statement that sunk him was, he said, as everybody in the world knows, you're innocent until proven guilty. Wrong open. This is Neoponic law. This is not Anglo-Saxon law. It's just like our friends and clients from Quebec, Laval Province in Canada. They go, they work under Neoponic law. You are not innocent until proven guilty. It's the other way around. So this is a, an eye-opener for people. It doesn't affect 99.99% of the people down, down here, but it is the law. So don't bring the bag, baggage up of your limited knowledge of law, according to the Anglo-Saxon criteria, and try to apply it here in Costa Rica under Neoponic law. I think what it boils down to is if you're considering a move to Costa Rica, go ahead and start the residency process. Kevin, as always, it's been a pleasure and we appreciate your time and everything that you know about this topic. And we've posted Kevin's contact information and his website address on the program notes associated with this episode. And I urge you to follow up with him through his contact us page of his website. And I'm going to post today's recording of our Q&A session on the website as well. When you're ready to have all your questions answered and all of your concerns addressed, Kevin and his team are standing by to get started to your pathway to a new life in one of the happiest countries on the planet. And by the way, if you haven't already, be sure to listen to our first eight conversations with Kevin 
regarding residency and everything else pertaining to that topic. Again, all the links are posted at the bottom of the homepage of his website at Costa Rica Immigration and Moving Experts.com. That's Costa Rica Immigration and Moving Experts.com. Kevin, thanks again. We'll see you soon for our next conversation together, talking about everything you need to know about acquiring your legal status here in Costa Rica and so much more. You're welcome entirely, Skip. I uh, hope I wasn't too loquacious during this little seminar. We got two questions answered. Uh, usually we get three or four, but you caught me in a talk of the mood. So I hope people enjoy what I had to say and I haven't scared them about Neoponic law versus Anglo-Saxon law. The fact is, if you're a good guy at, in your home country, you'll typically be a good guy here, good guy or gal. Well, we're Thanks very much, Skipper. We're going to have a test on that for our listeners in about a week, so they better have been listening to you. <laughs> well, we'll just get rid of the ones that haven't. <laughs> uh, uh, Kevin, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Take care, my friend.